Welcome back to Label, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter, and today we've got a conversation with Nathan of Salt Creek. Now, Salt Creek is a newer Tooth & Nail band with a new record that came out in October called Out of the Sky. Salt Creek's also on the Texas region of Labeled Fest, along with Emery, Norma Jean, Aaron Gillespie, and O Sleeper. So that's just going to be insane, and the tickets for those shows are on sale now at labeleduniverse.com. Go pick them up. To me, Nathan's a really fascinating guy who started promoting shows as a teenager in Nebraska. Uh, then he started a merchandise company and continued to make connections and grow his DIY skills and his creative skills. And his band, Salt Creek, is now making an impact and getting increasing opportunities. And to me, that's just a really interesting pattern that seems quite grounded and likely to continue. I get the sense that Nathan has real gratitude, curiosity, and motivation and finds joy in all the things he throws himself into. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and getting to know him and that you check out Salt Creek's new album and come see him on tour. All right, here we go. I just moved into a new office, and so my walls are just bare. Mm -hmm. They are so boring, but eventually I will... I'll find something <laughs> right now. I have some boxes. Got, you have to, if I own a merch company, I have to have boxes, I guess. So. Well, let's go in there and try to understand you know, who you are and who you are in the landscape and your band and everything. I think it's quite fascinating. Um, and uh, you know, your, your local environment or, or really, I guess for anybody, the local environment that they're in really winds up shaping everything that they ever do that goes outward to, to, to other people. And so you're in, if I'm right, Nebraska and you, you, uh, work at a merch company that you started or the founder of called relentless merch and, you know, play music and, and do all those things. So it's a pretty unique, um, you know, environment and setup you have, and then are now into the, whatever you call this music scene or world that's in the more, you know, global, global space. So tell me about your local environment and how you got, got to where you are. The, the term local environment is so funny right now. So we just moved to a a part of Lincoln that's called Havelock. Um, And right now we're battling a neighbor that is an Elvis impersonator. Uh, We, cause we're, we're loud. Like we like have speakers and like they play music in the shop. And he, uh, he's been playing Lion King. So, yeah, if you hear Lion King vaguely, it's because this guy's trying to, like, do some weird, like, I don't know, psycho analysis and, or something that I don't, I don't know what he's trying to do. It's a bat, you're in a warfare, <laughs> type of warfare yeah, with, a, with a neighbor. With, with Lion King, just over and over again. And I just, that, that was my first, like, mental. I'm like, oh, man. I, I, but I also, I'm like, I wonder how much this is going to relate to like everyday life. Like, I feel like I've since we've been dealing with this, I've been like in a better mood because I'm like, Oh man, like my crew is, you know, they're all like laughing this off and they're like, this guy's just trying to like, you know, be terrible to us. But everybody's like, yo, we're just going to kill them with kindness and we're going to invite them to our like open house. And we're just going to, like murder them by being over the top nice <laughs> and uh yeah so we'll see how that elvis impersonator is yeah in a couple of weeks that's but amazing because we're here for so it. it's a galvanizing because you, you know everybody knows you have to have an enemy to galvanize and it improves your mood that you have one and your strategy is to kill them with kindness but nonetheless it's psychological warfare of some type <laughs> 
Yeah, it's like yin yang, yeah. man. Like, like you have that like the darkness that like makes you feel lighter. <laughs> but let's uh, let's just take that right into music, and and um, I'm still interested in Nebraska itself as a topic. But is there uh, you know, a lot of the music that that gets us here and that we've been involved in that our scene revolves around is is a really lot of darkness and exploration of the darkness in music and heavy music. I'm curious how that strikes you on that same wavelength. Um, I honestly am trying to think like, like what kind of heavy music? I'm just saying the whole thing that that we do um, from, you know, this whole style of music that that we're into is a heavy music style. And there's, you know what I mean? Like it's outsider misfit, dark, heavy, aggressive, you know, all those things. Yeah. I'm curious what your, um, growing up in Nebraska, getting into heavy music or darker things, what, what has that journey been for, oh, yeah. for you personally in Salt Creek? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in like Lexington, Nebraska. And as, uh, you know, if you're, if you're into music, you're already the black sheep of the town. Cause it's, it's very ag based, uh, town and, you know, like you're, if you uh, like stuff that you might've found on MySpace, you're probably a goof and like, you probably wear like black skinny jeans or something. And so I think a lot of that, like feeling alienated from where you're from uh, definitely drove me to like meet more people through it and travel and like get out of Nebraska or get out of, you know, central Nebraska, especially. So um, I feel like if I didn't grow up in that environment where I kind of, didn't feel like I had a place. I wouldn't have met the people I did. I wouldn't have like, you know, decided to play in a band that toured. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's also definitely some darkness with my like family and addiction and like, especially Nebraska addiction. And like in the mid nineties, like meth was such a bad problem. Um, and it was, it was just so common. And so I, I really think like having that, like, deeper like uh those deeper feelings like definitely like ended up like showing through in my art too so is there a feeling like um and it's almost so easy to think visually on the map of nebraska being right in the country and then of course the stereotype is at least that it's that there's not a lot there culturally or or whatever it would be it was it a uh was it a, was there a desire um, to expand outward or find other people or the travel or play music in order to literally connect and get around other other people that weren't in your environment? Yeah, I would say I would say say so. Um, I felt like we were instantly like we had to travel three hours to get to any like show we wanted to see, um, and a lot of a lot of bands still like consider Nebraska a flyover state, which. I, I understand some stuff just doesn't do well in Nebraska. So I, I get that too. But um, even with that, like being from here and having that, like there's still like that, like hometown embrace where you're like, okay, like we don't have much going on here and we don't have, I mean, Omaha had a, a bunch of like, you know, the Saddle Creek scene and um, you know, 311, but like we didn't have anything coming out of here. And so I feel like our community and us as a band has always embraced Nebraska just because it's like 
part of us and it's this weird thing that like we belong to and so i don't know i i think uh in turn we wanted to get out but we also wanted to like tell people hey like it's the same same shit here you know (laughs) (laughs) so there's a sense of both pride as well as a, a desire for what's beyond yeah definitely yeah that's cool it's not a rejection of where you're from or anything like that um, and you were able to have, you know, people say fly over state, but it's also a drive across state for yeah. <laughs> artists and stuff. So there's definitely, you know, you definitely need to be able to get a show somewhere when you're driving across some, you know, the I eight is I eighty corridor or whatever it is. But what yeah. what um what was the interface where you been able to see and be exposed to music and stuff coming through? What was that like in in what years for you for you? Did you get exposure to and bands coming through and things like that? Um, I started going to shows, shows like around like 2006. Um, I remember the forecast. They were from, I think, Peoria, Illinois. They came through and I like uh, got into the victory catalog through them. And then that kind of led, they like would bring bands on like drive through records through with them and got into drive through that way. Uh, and then, yeah, like, I mean, it feels like such a long time in between things when it's like you're in your teens like now it's like everything happens so fast but you know like two years later we were uh my brother and i started booking like four today and like booking a lot of the like more the stuff we wanted to see like coming back through and i don't know like that you started booking and promoting shows yeah what, how, do, how do you get, I mean, you own a merch company, you started a band, it's very DIY, that's obviously in your DNA. How did it make sense to you to start promoting shows? Like, I, that, that's not something that I was doing, for instance, you know, I, yeah. uh, like that didn't occur to me. How did that, how does that show up for people? Um, so with being in central Nebraska, um, it was either drive to Omaha or like, sucker a band into playing your vfw hall right and i i still think uh it's funny i can't remember who for today's booking agent was then but i i recently like reconnected with them um and was like hey like i don't know if you remember me but i was 15 or 16 when i i booked for today and like they uh i think they had like a, a deposit i had to pay online and i was like i don't have a bank account like I, I think I was like fourteen, and I was like, I don't have a bank account. I was like, I can get my mom to send you a check, and they're like, we'll just, we'll just take, like, we'll just make it happen and see what happens. And then, yeah, they just started sending stuff my way that was cool, and started working with uh, a lot of bands on Face Down. I think uh, the drummer from Four Today ended up booking a lot of bands too. I think his name was Dave Morrison. So. And so it must have worked though, because I mean that sounds like a like it sounds like you're about to tell a disaster story. And then they came, and nobody came. You didn't have the money, and then it's a big embarrassment. And you know you sucker bands into coming, but it doesn't sound like that happened. It seems like you were able to to do it. So that's what would scare me the most about being a promoter. Is like the other side of that is I have some booking agent somewhere that's grinding some fifteen year old to give us some guarantee to go somewhere we would never go. And then when we get there, that's going to be a horrible situation for everybody. <laughs> that's the worry. Yeah. Well, in uh, for today, they were from I think Sioux City, Sioux Falls. I, I've known uh, like Brandon and L- Ryan Latrue like indirectly for a long time, and I 
recently, like through screen printing, became good friends with uh, Brandon. But yeah, they were literally a couple hours away. And so they like, I think they, the first show I booked with them was um, with Vania. Uh, and I think they were like, okay, we do well in Nebraska. Even if this guy, like, if he brings a PA, we'll be good, you know? Like, it, it will go well enough that we will make some kind of money. And I'm really glad they took that chance on me, so. I bet it's pretty cheap to put on. And then it was a ticket. You had to give them a guarantee or in the tickets worked out. People, you know, how many yeah, people came? I wish I remembered the guarantee. It was maybe a thousand bucks tops for that tour. Uh-huh. So, and it sold enough tickets. So you, it just worked. Then you keep on going. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just started doing that for fun. Um, I just like was in the middle of nowhere and was sick of driving to like Lincoln, Omaha to see bands play and, just made more sense to just bring do it myself so and did you continue that or ever get in a situation where you guaranteed money and it didn't you know you lost yeah there was a i mean nothing terrible but you know being a teenager like four hundred dollars was a ton of money for me at that time and i booked the swellers and they're still one of my favorite bands but uh i was like oh yeah like they're on tour with paramore like this is a a you know off day like people will come just because it's a cool band you know and they're like there was like that uh Haley williams might be at the show kind of vibe and we're like uh-huh. okay like we'll just ride it off this like weird traction and uh yeah it just it did okay and the show happened um it just like i offered them way too much money <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, it was a learning experience, so I probably would have done better in Lincoln and Omaha, but mm-hmm. I'd rather do it in, you know, my hometown. I didn't have to spend 200 bucks to get to Lincoln and Omaha, so. Well, you never know, though, because, you know, I talk to people all the time. And they say, oh, I live in this small town and we don't nothing ever comes here. And if you guys came here, I, you don't you wouldn't believe how many people would show up. And I'm like, I it's probably not what you, you know, that it's yeah. usually that's not the case. You think since nothing's there that, oh, all these people, but you're thinking of in your head of like, I, like if you can rattle off 24 people that would come, you assume they must represent, you know, a thousand people, but you, they don't. It really is about 35 yeah. people that, that would be in the know and certain, you know, that would come or whatever it is. So it's always, uh, it's always weird to play shows in the middle of nowhere, especially with young promoters or inexperienced stuff. But that's like this, it's, it's really worth it as an activity to, to, I'm glad that there's, I'm glad that people do it because you get these hot spots where something can really emerge or build or go, Oh, that was fun. Or we eventually it's like, Oh, we love going to shows at that VFW hall or whatever it is. And stuff really does get built that way, but it's, it it can be quite risky. (laughs) Well, it's cool to see like even like bigger bands that uh, they've had that weird off day that got booked in some town of, you know, 30,000. They've just continued to fill that off day there um, mm-hmm. because it just did so well. Like I like seeing like Idaho Falls or like some of those like smaller Utah or like Montana towns like on flyers is always kind of cool. So, well, the worst show we have ever played was in um was kind of nearby it was in the panhandle of oklahoma in the little strip of oklahoma oh, no. in a town called gaimon and it was just i mean i don't i don't know how to explain it but it was uh you know it was it was not good 
Oh man. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's also the hard part. You're like, uh, I, like we've had shows that we're like, okay, like we're playing this small town. There's nothing going on. Like this might be a good option. And then things just not work out. And yeah, you know, it might not be the promoter, but it might be like, you know, five different variables. You booked it on a Friday night and their whole town goes to a football game on Friday. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was partly, were you in the, um, were you on a track to where you were trying to be in a band or in a band? Was that part of it? Or was it, you know, was that part of the story of how you become, you know, gain the experience? Was it directly for you to become a musician and artist or, or did that just come later? Yeah, I was already playing in a like a really bad like uh Del Wars Prada breakdown kind of band. Um like what basically everything that happened in like 2006 to 2008 for local bands, I, that's what I was doing. Um so I was like, okay, like if I book these bands, they'll come. My band will be able to play this show and then like eventually I'll, you know, I book bands from Omaha and just show a swap and you know, hope to just kind of get out there. So, and so the when does Salt Creek, you know, emerge then? What's um, Salt Creek happened, I think, starting maybe like four or five years ago. Um, I booked Chase when I was still living in Kearney. I live in Lincoln now, which is like about two hours away, but um, I booked Chase, uh, an acoustic show with actually Matt Baird from Spoken. Um, cause I've, I've, okay. Matt Baird, I've been friends with for like the last like 10 years, just because he came and played a small town and he met me, you know, and he like mm-hmm. built a relationship with me. And, uh, you know, I love that guy for that. Just, he like gave me a, a chance to print his merch. Um, that's awesome. But, I feel yeah, like I there's feel- something special about that, uh, band in that I'm just kind of guessing here, but my experience with them is really similar in that. They were always doing small town off market things on the west of Oregon, a little church in Oregon, a town you barely heard of. Like that was the that's where I feel like Spoken has done and done really well for like a really long time, like almost probably more than anybody. So they must really enjoy that or that. And I'm glad to hear that that interactive part like that, that they connect to people. You know what I mean? That's a that's a neat that's a whole neat uh, career niche. I'd, I'd like to have that conversation with him. Yeah, um, on, Matt on here would Matt be a good idea. Such, he's such an interesting human. Um, I I really don't think it's the amount of people that are at the show. It's just like what makes a successful show is if he like had a really good moment with somebody and connected yeah. really well. And um, but yeah, uh, I I booked him in Carney and at a, like a bar and brought Chase down because uh chase got like tattooed by like my best friend in lincoln and uh ended up just making good friends with chase i met our bass player um when he was like 13 or 14 at carney shows and then uh our drummer he was also based in carney he actually works at the print shop and uh moved up at the same time that my brother and i moved up here um but yeah just kind of made it happen <laughs> i don't know it was what, we had a friend ransom that kind of pushed us all together and like forced us to like start a band because i was playing in like a post-hardcore band at the time that it was 
kind of on its last leg. Like we had lost a bunch of members and it just made more sense to do this thing. What uh, ambitions or, you know, what, what, what were the goals or shared goals? Were they clear to you? Uh, you, you like what the point of the band was or it's, or its ambitions either, you know, were and are. Yeah. At that time, I think we were really just like, we're going to put out music and play as many shows as possible. Um, and that's still pretty much our goal. Uh, I don't think it's like kind of changed. Like, I think we put out our, we had like a demo that we put out and put that out and then played like, you know, I think we did like a six day run right after we put it out. So it was kind of like instantaneous. We were starting to do it. And is that what doing it means for you? Like, what's, is there a big dream or is, is the dream is, is to be active and have it fit in a part of your life along with these other things? I mean, what's the, what's the big vision? Um, I feel like we all have a bit different vision of what our band, we want it to be. Um, but as far as success goes, like I would like to, you know, recoup from records. So tooth and nail can keep putting out more like small dope bands. Uh, like I would just like to like, maybe make sure it's like financially feasible to do it longer. Um, but right now it's just kind of like my creative out output and we get a we get a travel like i really like like traveling like eating good local food at places that you know my parents never got to go to or my family never got the chance to go to is always awesome so yeah i but, wonder if travel what part the desire and what people get out of travel drives you know so much like if you if you if you just said you could put out music and know that people all over the world are listening to it and you never traveled i mean how much less attractive would the would the whole art form of making records and stuff be you know i i can't tell i it's hard because uh you know i you know it's like if tom cruise was your dad you wouldn't know anything different than tom cruise being your dad and if somebody was like whoa that's crazy tom cruise is your dad you know, but I, I would enjoy still putting out music, um, even if like we didn't get a travel, but I think that's kind of like the perk to me is getting to do that. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like I would like it either way. I would still do it. So, yeah, I feel that like originally for me, it was exploring the music itself, but that exploration just maybe then comes there's still exploration in both like in, that's what's in common for me is just trying to figure out how this works or what's over there musically or what happens when you do this or when you go there and then when you like it, it really is just the exploratory nature of it i think that that connects it all in in some way or at least it is for me oh absolutely man i also uh in the emory bio i i looked y'all up you know i was like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do a quick like research of your like early years it I don't know if this is true, but you all met in a Cracker Barrel, or like the, you joined or started the band in a Cracker Barrel, or is that wrong? That's some fusion of something. But Cracker Barrel <laughs> is a uh, important part of of Emory history. That, um, it, that's all I was gonna say. I was like, how has a uh, like Cracker Barrel been a part of your band? Do you guys still enjoy Cracker Barrel too? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, but we um, the the Cracker Barrel. Well, we have two big Cracker Barrel moments, but one is. Um, 
when we moved to Seattle to start a band in 2001, it was on September 11th. Um, oh, yeah. And we left our house early that morning to you know move across the country and start a new life. And uh, we we stopped at a Cracker Barrel in North Carolina, and that's when we found out we were. That was our first stop on our whole Emory voyage, and that's when we found out that the nine eleven had happened. You know, oh, that, and then we had to continue our trip, and you know that we almost turned around and went home from that Cracker Barrel. And there's a whole you know story around that. Uh, so that was a big moment, and then we had one of our biggest fights as a band at a Cracker Barrel. It was like Toby and our uh, original drummer Seth, where they got into some weird fight, and we pulled over and stopped at a Cracker Barrel for a long time or whatever. But um, so that's two Cracker Barrel <laughs> memories for us, and we did we. Um, decided to start our band uh at, it was at a mexican restaurant uh, so that was the, like that we had a meeting we said let's start a band let's move to seattle let's do that but that was at a mexican restaurant not a cracker barrel so perhaps those stories are being merged in a bio somewhere oh i i love that combo yeah i was <laughs> like i don't get what this is trying to say but i'm here for it so <laughs> i was like i'm intrigued by this story about Y'all starting on 9-11 plus mm-hmm. Cracker Barrel. I'm like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. It sounded like uh, somebody meshed it all together for a, a confusing bio. But if you made it into a movie, it would be we were at that Cracker Barrel and it was the point of no return. And it was like, we should, we should go. Home. We're only an hour and a half from the house. We should go home now. Oh, man. Yeah. And we should not do this. This is a sign. It's too scary. We're on our way to who knows what. We we're on our way to Chicago. Like, that's our We're like, we can't. We were scared. That we'd never even hardly been to major cities or been anywhere. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it was a, it was a, it was a, we had to decide to continue to go forward at that time. So it, it was relatively dramatic in a sense. <laughs> Yo, I love it. Also, I think our band did have something similar where uh, we met at a, this place called Big Red Kino. So it was a, you know, your, your typical hot beef sandwich kino spot so that we decided that we were going to be a band i don't think i've ever told anyone that one but it's not uh as you know beautiful as cracker as dramatic (laughs) gotta love kino though um so you guys were then um you guys identify what i understand already from your bio and talking to Adam at Tooth and Nail and everything else is that you're a fan of some Tooth and Nail bands and that scene and you, you were enc- encountering that stuff for today even and you know I'm curious about the your history with Tooth and Nail um, you know as well as uh, just what you know is your experience of coming into you know sign with the label and, and things like that yeah and the hard part is a lot of the, I, I like looked at the like alumni uh, when we first started talking about doing this and I was like, okay, who is actually on the alumni? What records were put out? And, um, you know, there was some kind of pivotal moments in my life where uh, like my uh, youth pastors, like kid, uh, like brought in like define the great or no, what's the, they're only chasing safety. He mm-hmm. brought in like the the documentary DVD to watch like during youth group. And I like didn't really like I already was listening to like seeing bands, but it was like that first like, like, oh, like there's this whole other secondary world that I don't know about. Um, and then, you know, even as of like sooner, we we had the chance to print for Thousand Foot Crutch. Um, and through Matt, actually, Matt Baird, uh, he linked their manager in. Um, and we got a print for 
their arena tour they did like a couple or three or four years back and we didn't have an automatic and uh who adam from the wedding was their merchandise manager at that time too um is that the right band i think so um but uh we didn't have an automatic press and they're like we need like i think it was like twenty thousand shirts or something like that I was going like, to ask how many shirt. Well, how's that? What's the size of an order for a TFK Arena tour? Yeah, I, I is it, it twenty thousand units? It was like ten <laughs> to twenty k. Uh, yeah. And hopefully, that's not uh, giving away any, well, any secrets. But uh, I don't think anyone cares. Um, but yeah, we we had never done anything of that size, and so it was like that. Okay, like TFK is going to do this for us. Like, let's make this happen, and it it took a lot from us. We had to like switch over banks. We had to get equipment loans. Uh, we had to learn how to use the equipment, but they gave us enough time. Like, I think Adam hit us up like a couple months in advance and said, Hey, we're, we're getting onto this tour. And so they gave us enough time to make it happen. And dude, I'm so thankful that they gave us that opportunity. Cause I don't know where I would be if, TFK didn't do that for me, you know? Unbelievable. That rhymes with the being a promoter and getting somebody to take a chance on you when yeah. you're a 14-year-old kid or, or, or signing yeah. a record deal or whatever. That's amazing. That you, that, I mean, getting signed, that, and that promoter thing, those are three big three big leaps, you know, where people are believing in you because yeah, of something that, you're able to cause them. I don't, I don't know what that is that causes that. Why would they do that? <laughs> I, I, think, I think Matt like drove it into his manager that he wanted to bless us in some capacity. And I just, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, we probably wouldn't have gotten automatic for a long time if we didn't do that. And now we have like 30 employees. So it's like, we went from, you know, we had three at that time or three people at that time. And I'm just like, we were able to like instill confidence in these people that we were able to make it happen. But also like, they were able to be like, hey, we're going to trust these like mild idiots from Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> mild that, idiots. I love You that. know, like we didn't know what we were doing. We, you know, like even, even with that, that order, like we didn't think about it being like 70 boxes. So we ended up uh, like it was around Labor Day or there was a holiday that the tour started on. Um, and so we had to end up, we ended up driving all of the order to Nashville um to make bus call um because we were going to miss out on the first day of the tour and so like even the logistics of them like being like oh okay like you guys can do this like we trust that you're going to also drive this 15 hours to nashville to make happen um but you know it happened (laughs) you did it that's inspiring on on a bunch of levels there you know it's like I don't know. That's that's an inspiring type of story to me. Um, what did you? What do you feel like are some really important songs in the in the catalog for you in the Tooth and Nail catalog? Oh man, Solid I, State, I Tooth and Nail, all that. I picked a couple out. My my main one. Um, I I think I, I told you Tiger Wine Scarecrow. Um, in musically, uh, it's, it's a sick song, uh, like Tiger Wine's the shit, 
But uh, the main reason I picked that song was because that song, I, uh, I've been friends with Tigerwine for a while. I took them out on their like first couple like runs and like kind of embraced them as a band. And then they kind of just like flew. They, they figured it out and they just kind of killed it. And uh, they'd worked with Goldman on their record before that. And so they were testing out uh, Jeremy that plays in Salt Creek. Um, they were testing him out. He like moved back from uh, California to Nebraska. They were testing him out on a single. They recorded Scarecrow. And I just remember getting it back and being super hyped on it. But I, I got to spend a lot of time with those guys when they were down in that uh, in the studio and ended up making like a really good friend, like a bunch of good friends. But Steve uh, from Tigerwine ended up being like a really close friend of mine. Like I went, ended up going to his wedding and, you know, uh, I think the, our record would sound a lot different because he ended up doing a lot of the like assistant work and uh, helping with reamps and helping with writing and help helped us with like some cool leads and stuff. So um, yeah, that song just, there was a moment in time where like without that song, we wouldn't have had this relationship with this person. So Wow. Uh, what, what makes that band special? What's unique about them? Um, I Musically. Think Steve, like, I think Steve is the main writer in that band. Um, he's one of, just one of the best musicians I've ever, like, worked with. Uh, he just did, uh, we did a couple of days with Shinedown. And he came in and literally was, like, spot on, perfect on every single lead. Like, for filling in and we were just like dude just unreal person but um he has like a way different perspective on music and i never can figure out what his influences are and he kind of hides that and i uh i love it i don't know <laughs> they're yeah, the very, mystery there's a mystery there yeah i think yeah. A, they're they're definitely the band's band like like they're they won't do like catchy things more than once. So it's like this, like really big moment when something happens. And I love that part about them. Awesome. Uh, what's another one? Um, I pick a classic crime, the fight. I'll take my heart back. Set the people free. That song in general, um, I, when we were in high school, we decided to do a tour when I was like, I think I was 15 where, well, it was a tour where, uh, I, we did, I think two or three shows and we borrowed my dad's truck and just fit all our gear in the back and made it happen. Um, but the first, the first show was going to be in Denver, it canceled. So we ended up going to see the classic crime. And it was just that moment where like our parents weren't around, like we had no rules, but like at the same time, we were like finally figuring out what we loved, you know? And that, that record in general just is in sonically awesome. I can't remember who they worked with on it. 
The um, um the guy that produced their records, uh, other the only persons ever worked on them other than Matt McDonald himself is the uh, guy named Elvis in Virginia. Yeah, Elvis's like, last name, but he's a great producer. Yeah, he did like a couple of the Chevelle records, and like right. it, it kind of that I don't know. There's that like uh, the guitar tones in that song just are sonically so like level, and I I don't know, just a really good song, really well written. But yeah, there that guy is a producer. Is is a like he's an old school kind of guy. Like he he I've met him and been to his house and studio going through there with classic crime before. And he's like he reminds me of whatever a producer would be for an '80s metal band or something. I think he's even a guitar shredder and he's just got that vibe. But he's very intense guy, very artistic and just you know he um he he works really a lot on the ego of the performer is like the space that he operates in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and so and uh, Matt McDonald loves working with him because it's just so intense. And so, you know, he, you know, is the kind of thing where he, Matt McDonald feels like he's either working by himself in a, in a basement or somewhere, or he's in this powerful place with this big producer who really, you know, takes him to the next level of his ego to get the thing the way it needs to be or whatever. But so that's kind yeah. of fascinating. Yeah, even like the way the production is, like the guitars are uh, kind of like hypnotizing. Like they're all one level, and it's kind of like a really comforting sound. Um, cool. But yeah, even I feel like that whole record has that vibe too. So yeah, I think they're often underappreciated at some of that some of that music and 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 that band. Um, but I, thanks for thanks for noticing that one. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to hear it. Hell yeah. Um, what, what's another one? Um, as cities burn as a band, I feel like it's a, a major shout out on this show, uh, and on this podcast, which I think they have all the right to, uh, that I never got, I didn't have like a early as cities ban, uh, burn like moment. Um, I got into them because they came through Nebraska a bunch and like they, we played I think we played three shows with them, but they're always like super kind humans. And like, I don't know, like you, you meet those people that you like, you just get along with and they like click instantly. And I love that about them. And then like, also like, you know, you do have those bands that will gas you up. And um, they were a band that like, they heard us play and they, I think, I don't know if they talked to Adam or if they talked to somebody else, but they were like, I accidentally enter, like ran into like one of the guys on a phone call talking about us. And I was just like, he was like gassing us up to whoever was on the other line. And I was like, Oh, they actually did like us. They weren't just like, you know, saying that to say that. And it was just like this moment where I'm like, Oh, like these guys like have been doing it forever, but they still have that like, young heart and they still have that young energy and still like genuinely care about the art so who was that on the phone uh i don't know who they were talking to but it was uh what's their main vocalist cody cody yeah yeah or tj's the screamer oh no it was tj tj yeah yeah yeah, right yeah they're brothers but yeah that's amazing that's a cool story yeah but yeah that song also just rules uh bloodsucker like part two like it's just a a perfectly written song. Like there's just cool riffs, like that intro riff. It's it like you know something like is about to happen when you hear it. 
Yeah, so you like those ones where the songs change that are less formatted. That's another one like that where it's like it, it song goes to like three sections or whatever. Not, yeah. Not repetitive has, of the big moments. Definitely. And I, I think with like the classic grind and the like essays burn, I, I don't know if this was a thing at that time, but like um, even with like the almost, they had those uh, the kick drum was just always on the 16th note. Like it was like the, 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 during the chorus, it made this like giant chorus. Um, and that's something with like Bloodsucker that's really sick. The chorus is just such a beefy chorus because the kick drum just constantly going. So. That's very cool. Very cool. And maybe that, uh, that is that, you know, that kind of word of mouth gets to, to Adam Scatula at Tooth and Nail and Adam's your guy, huh? How did that relationship form? Um, I it, it was kind of a mixture of everything. I know our old manager, Josh, had been talking to him uh, about us. And then, like, uh, Tiger Wine had gotten signed. And, like, you know, we're tight with those, that crew. But I think it was just kind of a little bit of everything. Like, Adam was probably getting punished by some of our, like, label friends that were like, yo, like, this band's tight. Like, I, but, uh, yeah, I... Adam's a great ass dude, so um, I'm glad like whoever shouted us out or got us, you know, in touch. I'm glad that happened. So. Yeah, it's very cool, and um, it's neat how there's just some, you know, the the world is smaller than it seems. So when you get in the, no matter where you, the, you know, everything seems so big and open and everything, but you kind of find your people over time that are resonant just in those little interactions and the, you know you have so many touch points to, to tooth and nail in that way that it's not really a surprise um it's not really a surprise you know that those things connect more and more uh as you know as time goes on and everything i'm thrilled about doing labeled fest and having you guys on that run because that's that's just i mean i have a pretty good sense that everybody's going to get along really well on that it'll be good yeah definitely and texas is tight so there's a lot of a lot of good barbecue, so it'll be a good time. And I don't know, I'm stoked to be on it as well. So I've always really just liked that feeling of like. It, there's one school of thought that says you're supposed to diversify, like who you tour with or get exposure to whatever else. But I like, I always have liked how music can be diverse and it's like styles different styles of bands can play together. But there's something else that is like-minded that it. For whatever reason, to me, it just works better. And then the, fa- I mean, it, it, there's a better experience created from like-minded people than like-sounding people is maybe what I'm trying to say. Definitely. And then somehow it gets into the fans too. So it's like we could tour with less tooth and nail bands, but and it's it's not because it even necessarily makes it bigger. It just it somehow there's a quality. When there's a show that I feel like the other bands are like us and the fans, whatever the like-mindedness is, which is pretty hard to pin down, it the whole room or the venue somehow transforms and it's a more, I don't know how to explain that, but I always just like getting the density of, you know, like-minded people together and then, you know, kind of different sounds. So that's part of what I think is cool about labeled fest and, and that yeah. particularly to have uh you know we have just we the dates coming up with with tashi is doing some of it and then it's norma jean you know sleeper and everything just to be able to put those bills together idle threat was great um oh, and yeah. i'm excited to have you guys do it this is just really and then gillespie doing solo like acoustic guy or whatever it's just it's really fun yeah man i i think uh it is cool that 
like tooth and nail definitely has a sound but they also like um don't at the same time it's like it's like every band has like the same like mental like place that they're in and like i don't know has the same purpose for doing it or at least similar purposes and uh i i feel like sent it's just like everybody puts out a little bit more introspective music introspective um, that's a cool that's a cool i was i've tried to it's like i said it's really slippery to try to identify the the lazy way to say it is like it's christian or something yeah but i think that's a little bit lazy um uh i, I don't even know how to talk about that because that's such a a weird you know topic and nobody really wants the label of what you do to to be to be that but there's something at least spiritual like that is uh, is the underpinning of 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 connect there's something in that territory that's certainly appropriate somebody asked me the other day it's like why don't you ask the bands on this podcast where their faith is it seems like an obvious question that you avoid and i'm not trying to avoid it it just i don't know how to ask it in a way that it's because it's like i agree with that but to me it's somehow deeper than when if you ask the question it just goes at a more superficial level but i do think it's a good question um but uh, how does that tie in? Do you, do you see that it's connected in a spiritual or a Christian way that ties all that um, together? Well, that's also another question is because uh, I feel like the late uh, Tooth and Nails, like, you know, their typical, like, fan base is not, like, the biggest fan of our band. Um, we do cuss a lot in our music. And, like, um, a couple of us are believers, but, like, we're not a Christian band in any way. Um, and you know, we, I don't think that was, uh, you know, something that we ever like claimed to be, or I, I don't know why, uh, <laughs> the, the YouTube comments get so, uh, you know, pissy, but, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I do feel like everybody in our crew is spiritual in some capacity. It may not be your, no, your like traditional Christian values, like, um but we all have like a different perspective and um you know i i have a lot of qualms with christianity and um and mostly the like church in general and i don't know how to feel about it i don't know what to claim at this point in my life i but the thing is like we're all searching for that we're like you know the big question is where where do we go when we die you know like you know and like is is life, you know, everlasting? Is it, are we going to like go somewhere? And, um, you know, I, every day is a different answer for me. And I am so glad that like, you know, if, that if there is a, you know, Christian God or a God in general, like that they gave us free will to like, be able to be like, okay, do I believe in this? Like, do I have like, you know, like I can change my opinion every day. Like, Mm -hmm. and you know, even the big question, like, uh, there's a song that my friend Jordan had that, uh, like the, the question was, will be, will we be believers on our deathbed? And like, you know, when we're, we're about to die, like what, what will be the answer, you know? And maybe this is going on a tangent, but like, it's intriguing. And I feel like, uh, a lot of the community has been like, Hey, like, 
you're supposed to have this specific thing set in your mind. And I'm like, what about if we just continue the conversation all our lives, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, it, that and, reminds r- rhymes with the exploratory thing we were discussing earlier, like to explore music or to explore other people or travel or spiritual things or afterlife yeah. things. Like that, like the maybe that's kind of what I feel connects a lot of people is just the willingness and openness to explore, or the interest or the curiosity about that. And some people are way more have way more certainty you know, than I do or like to ha- yeah. or need need to have more certainty in it. But there's something in common with the open, like you're open to to interacting with those people on the YouTube comments instead of avoiding the old Christian label tooth and nail. Like you've embraced yeah. that. You've embraced that interaction in some way, um, which I find fascinating. Yeah. And I, I feel like the label is just like, hey, these guys are a good band and like they're good people. and we just want to put out their music. I don't think there was any, uh, anything further than that. I think they were like, Hey, like, you know, you can, you have questions about all this stuff, but like, you know, there's things that I feel like we probably shouldn't do as a band on tooth and label, like tooth and nail. But, um, in general, like they've always let us be creative and be our own person. Like, you know, and I feel like I want that for every artist. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Let's talk a little bit about your album, Out of the Sky. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's out. What, what month did it come out? Is it, it came out last year. But how long ago was that? I think it was October. September, October of October last year. year. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's a, it's, I really have enjoyed it. I've been listening to it. But, you know, it, I've listened since before Labeled Fest and now even, you know, coming into this conversation today i was listening to it and trying to get a grip on it and it it um i was curious if you had any songs that stick out to you when i say that i really identify the um i do think there's a grunge and 90s element in there there's something and 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 i think i've noticed that in some of the i don't know why exactly or how to put my finger on it but some of the newer uh acts now are starting to have a echo of of a of the nineties or something like that. I don't know exactly. I don't have the right language for it. Exactly. But I was curious how that resonates with you and interfaces with, you know, out of the sky. Definitely. I, I think I grew up pretty heavily on grunge and like, uh, you know, like just harder rock, uh, like thorn in my side. I don't know if anybody's ever caught this, but, uh, we very heavily reference like an Alice in Chains song, uh, on the like intro and, just wanted to have a big rock song. Like um, a lot of our guys are into like Alice in Chains, like, you know, even Jawbox or uh, we were heavily influenced on like a lot of the nineties emo, like post hardcore world. Like, you know, especially being from Nebraska, I like, like get up kids is like, you know, two hours from us. So in time, it's really freaking me out how close, the emo and some of this other punk stuff was from grunge because in my mind it was like i was in middle school and early high school during that and then way way later there's like 
these other genres that I'm into as a more of a older person in, that I'm in. But when I look back on it, or I talked to Goatee Hook last week, it's like that's '93, '94. Like Get Up Kids, like these bands were. It was right in and around and on top of that grunge. I just wasn't. I'm slow yeah. getting here, but I I'm shocked when you go back how how really closely that that it it really is this '90s alternative. It's the '90s alternative, like thread that's that's here and almost resurging now. Is the way I feel about yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And even you know, thinking about how many bands were influenced by what was going on in you know uh, Kansas City is so interesting. And also, you guys, I I think it's interesting. You've been in the band the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the week's end, Ed Rose did, and it's a very post-hardcore like Ed Rose record. And I, I think it's cool how you want that. And then you record with Aaron Sprinkle on mm-hmm. the question. And yep. I I always originally had thought, oh, like the producer helps the band shift direction. But you guys were picking, hey, we're shifting a direction. Um, and then we're picking the right person to do it. And it like I had like kind of a realization when I was looking through your house, like um like discogs and i was like oh like ed rose did this and like that makes so much sense for the first one and then it makes so much sense for aaron to do the question so well the 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 choices weren't as deliberate as you're saying and i really do think those two individuals really did a lot of shaping that i didn't know was going to happen given the their style so the oh. earlier a band is the more uh you know influence the producer has but that that but it's really the whole situation the ed rose one was we had we had nine days that we could afford we weren't signed yet we just wanted to sound like apple seed cast or something i mean we didn't know oh, yeah. uh, we just were like we like these bands that ed, you know it's all we knew and then we contact him and it turns out we could afford him and we could afford nine days so it was like that's what that record sounds like is him like just doing whatever it took to like really focus us on getting that done and that made that and that made that special in the way that it made it special and then the Aaron Sprinkle one was like the opposite it was like okay we're signed we already have a hit record um we're gonna spend the time to do this one and it's gonna be a higher production situation and so it was way more exploratory and things like that and so that and then that turned you know but so and that turned it was the 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 way it was recorded couldn't have been really more different so to to me those and those are my only two experiences but they represented two extremes basically style of production and then the outcomes of them i didn't have in my i didn't know what they were going to turn out like they just that is what they happen to turn out like, and they both turned out good. So I, I kind of love that. I There's parts of Ed Rose that um, he creates like the most raw. I, I feel like every record yeah. that I like from Ed has been a 10 to 14 full length, like 14 day, like full length. And you're yeah, like, that's all he ever did. I mean, that's yeah. his style. And it's, it's hilarious to me that that, that was the case um like especially recording now and like digging into it but like you know even even with touche more like uh like seeing them in their progression where they recorded like parting the sea with him and then the next record i think they worked with uh oh man i should know the name of the guy but they worked with somebody that oh he did not to quote composure separation should know his name but um they worked with somebody that was a whole different vibe 
And the raw record, it definitely stands out in some mm-hmm. different way. It might not yeah. be the best record. It might not be like the worst record, but it, it definitely has a very like specific sound. And I think that's really yeah. intriguing. He captures what is just already there. Like Ed just tells you, cut this, trim that, catch that. Doesn't yeah. matter. Just do it. It's like it's getting no the essence of what is there and slimming it down to that. And that's due to necessity. And that just is built into his style. He's not encouraging or even nice. It's just, we're getting this. You got to, we're going to, this is what's here and you get it. Um, Aaron Sprinkle is totally experimental and like it's just a totally different. Like he's led just by his ear and then uh, conversations and is not very disciplined at all. Um, yeah. So it's, it's totally different. But the Ed Rose records that um, were made right before us, that like in that time, what he was doing, he did uh, the Rocket Summer's first record, which I just love oh, yeah. that. It's so that has the same quality to it and the first Motion City soundtrack record. And then Emory yeah. Weeks in were all recorded like by him basically in a row. And I think cause those are three very different you know, records or whatever, but I like that, um, that part of it, of those flowing through him. And then of course, after you do that, you go on to do something more. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you know, like, different, you're like, okay, different. Yeah. like I already know what I sound like. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to have, right. yeah, I'm going to do something beyond what exactly, but the raw, yeah. r- you know, what a good way to really get the essence of a band on their first record. I mean, I think that should happen more, you know, to be honest. Yeah, just something dry and, like, just make it happen. And so they know what they sound like, and they're like, okay, what can we do next, you know? And it's intriguing. Even, like, uh, listen to some of Aaron's new productions. There's, like, so many little, like, atmospheric layers. I'm like, yes, yes. I, I feel like he just spends a lot of time, like, screwing around and eventually finds some soundscape that he's like, okay, like, this is on the song now. But well, I'll give you a hint about Sprinkle is he doesn't spend almost any time screwing around. He he ju- he isn't the most efficient or disciplined person, but he just waits until he knows what to do and then it comes. Okay. So it's not sure. it's not that he's sitting there trying a bunch of stuff or even it seems like sometimes he's not paying attention, but that unfocused state is the place where the idea speaks to him and then he just knows or he'll say let or he'll close the door it's like in these extreme bursts of creativity with a ton of momentum and a ton of clarity there it is and it's always right That's but you so never know when it's going to come it's 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 a really it's really magnificent like he's a one of a kind but it's not a this disciplined producer with all the recordings or does all that arranging it's just yeah. wait get the environment right and then when he responds to something that happens or when something speaks to him, he, it's, it's going to be right. It's just an intu- intuitive kind of dance yeah. between creativity and a cra- the craft. That he has the, all the back. He's incredible, incredibly skilled. And then once the idea pops to him, he can execute it faster than anybody in the world. Word. That's cool but, to know. I, uh, yeah. I've always been intri- like, interested in his like, style and how he like, builds things maybe i don't know has he been on the podcast he probably has yeah there's a there's a couple times he's been i need to probably listen to those but he could do a lot more so there's plenty to to learn from him i mean he i believe he should be studied more (laughs) yeah i spent enough time around him but i mean i've i've gotten more from spending time around him than i have from 
almost any anybody, and, and at least in a musical or production sense. But it's it's really a creativity thing. If he was doing graphic design or whatever it is, it would be it's the same. He's just he has a creative skill that's somehow abstract and and intuitive. That's you know sp- very special. Yeah. Dude, that's sick. I I just love his production. He always does something like new or interesting that I'm like, what the hell? Like I don't. I, I think he just has a really good ear and hears yeah. things that yeah. I normally, I think would pass on, you know, or be like, Oh, this is good. We're good here. You know? Um, so uh, you have explicit on a couple of your songs, high horse and, and the vine. Do you want to tell me it's either one of those stick out to you, uh, what those choices are and what those songs are just, you know, while we're here talking about out of the sky. Um, I'm trying to think what cuss words they have <laughs> yeah how do you get the? what happens to get the e yeah i mean is that do you set that does the label set that i don't even um, know i just <laughs> so originally it wasn't set on when we were releasing singles um there's like a video that had like like 40 or 50 youtube comments about like one of the cuss words in it and I think I like messaged uh, either Tyson or Adam. I was like, Hey, can you just put explicit on this? I know it's like a little probably weird for like your average listener to see it and be like, Oh, like what's this? Like, you know, and probably, you know, but I was just like, if people don't want to hear a cuss word because they feel uncomfortable about it, like, you know, that's okay. Like I, I get that. Like some, some, like the English language is interesting and, some people like there's words that emph- emphasize other words and cuss words happen to be that. And, you know, it's been around forever and it's not going away. Um, I think it's weird how some people overuse them, but uh, every, every song that had a cuss word, we didn't deliberately put it into the song to be like, Oh, we're, you know, we're not a Christian band. We're taking a stab at this label or, this labels fans were just like, Hey, like, this is, this is a song we wrote. Like, you know, when we turned it in, like no one at tooth and nail was like said anything about it being cuss, like cuss words. They're just like, Hey, like since this is explicit, we can't send it to this, you know, this radio thing, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's valid, you know, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and what would you say is the, the, and High Horse is the one that has the most plays. Why, why do you think that that is just as a song or, you know, it, it was, uh, I don't know if it was released first or chosen in that way, but is that a surprise? I mean, what's special about High Horse? Um, I really wasn't expecting it to have oh, the most plays by any means. We, uh, we were really into Fleetwood Mac when we were recording it, um, you know, and we're, we're not Fleetwood Mac, but we were just like, hey, like, let's I wrote wrote some of the parts on acoustic and um it was just like kind of a, a fun song we put together and like I think our dudes like we're smoking a little bit of weed and we're just like <laughs> we wanna we wanna make a like a Fleetwood Mac esque song and we just kind of yeah. made a vibey vibey song and uh but yeah I'm I'm glad people like related to it or vibed it. I think uh it's definitely a fun song and it's not really what is normally in our wheelhouse. So I think that might have been why people listen to it more. Cause it's like that weird, intriguing song. So, 
Yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, it sticks out to me, you know, as well. And then the Fleetwood Mac and the, you know, the drug use. Uh, now, like now, I can <laughs> yeah. kind of put a. <laughs> I appreciate those two details just to kind yeah. of triangulate. That was I was really like, cool. I know this is the label podcast, but I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be transparent. I'm glad. I appreciate it. <laughs> There's a lot of songs in the catalog that a lot of people like a lot that have yeah. uh, that certainly have uh you know substance uh influences in the creation of them I'm, I'm yeah quite, i mean quite certain of it we're not the first band to say the f word no. on tooth and nails roster and probably certainly not the last you know it's tooth and nails just putting out stuff they like and i think that's sick and there's yeah. nothing too much more to that so <laughs> that, that's that's great and i think that's you know that's one thing that's really core like if you could take brandon and pin him down or ever ask him that's what's been consistent. That is the way that he, um, you know, that that's at least the way he'll always say it and has been, in my experience, that's always been true, is that he is moved by, and then that filters down through his A&R people and stuff like that. That that kind of is the ethos is to, if it's, if you're if it's causing you to react to it and you're and lean in, then you ha- you just have to go with that at the end of the day. And then sometimes there's stuff may not fit or there may be problems or whatever. But that that's kind of always been the spirit to to try to to, to try to follow that impulse. So I think that's part yeah. of the the secret. And I'm glad that you guys are are part of the part of the whole you know part of the whole thing. I'm really excited yeah. for Labeled Fest and I've really you know enjoyed this conversation today. Looking forward to hanging out soon. Yo, absolutely. And even even one more thing, like, I think it's really interesting that, you know, tooth and nail, they don't sign based on what's going to sell even. Like, um, we had talked to a couple of the labels and our, our numbers weren't the best. And I know we're, we're not, we're not a, a moneymaker for tooth and nail by any means. And I think it's really cool. Like, even the bands I'm I've sent a couple of bands to Adam being like, Hey, this band's selling a ton of merch. You should reach out to him. But you know, it's like if, if certain things, if it just doesn't align with, you know, the ethos or like fits in the right perspective, or, it, you know, if he just doesn't vibe the music, like they don't, you know, or if anybody does it, like they don't like put it on the label. And I, I think that's kind of cool. They're just, they do this label, like, solely based on their tastes and like sometimes it's it's like hey like will it do well let's put it out hell yeah but i don't know it's cool that they kind of curated this like hodgepodge of bands so but it's really the only way yeah because if you you know there's a lot of labels that have been more narrowly targeted on a sound or maybe more driven by a certain profit motive at a certain time not that that's not a big part of any you know business or make mistakes on every side of that but to have the longevity it it, those other things will the styles and the money and the whatever they those will go up and down and in and out so to have longevity it has to it has to come from somewhere just a little bit you know deeper you know so that that is cool so um and then over time that it somehow makes its own makes its own identity based in that. So all those factors that are, that are deeper are fascinating to me. And it's cool to see other people, you know, get it and meet up over time and, you know, on it goes. So it's, it's Dude, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And very stoked to meet you in person. Very stoked to, you know, see y'all. I, I haven't seen Emery in 
way too long. So very stoked to, that this is happening. So awesome! Yeah, that's we got dates in the coming up soon on the West Coast that you guys aren't doing. Um, like ne- this week, I'm leaving on Monday, and then or I, I, by the time this comes out, I'm probably out there right now. And then our dates are. Do you know the date? Do you have them off the top of your head? They're September, uh, the uh, September 14th like, or something. Yeah. Like that. So middle of September, and those dates are at labeluniverse.com. You can get the tickets there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thank you, Nathan. See you soon. Thanks, dude. Thank you for listening to this episode of Labeled. My name is Joel, and I'm from Nashville, and I've been a supporting member of Labeled since the beginning. A favorite song of mine is from a sampler from the uh, songs from the Penalty Box Volume 2. It was a simple sampler I think my mom got at a Berean Christian bookstore. And A Fall Farewell from Zeo is on that album. Uh, There's a breakdown about a minute into that song that really defined what heavy music was for me uh, through high school um, and junior high. And so, yeah, that song for sure stands out. Uh, Labeled is produced by Matt Carter and Knucklebreaker Productions at Compound 3 Recordings. Editing and sound designs by Seth Thompson. Editorial oversight by Jim Worthen and Adam Scatula. Brand and design direction is by me, Joel Buchelman. And our production manager is Katie Franson. Executive producers Brandon Ebel and Matt Carter and additional support from Marshall Frymoth, Tyson Pauletti, and Anna Murskowski. Thanks and see you next time.